Hi there. You are listening to episode two of the Big Shiny Podcast, where we cover Big Shiny Tunes 2, 1997. The thing to remember is that this was the big kahuna of Big Shiny Tunes. This was the triple platinum seller. Mm -hmm. This was the one, my gateway into Big Shiny Tunes. Not everyone's, but... Not mine. If you grew up in the 90s and watched much music, you own this album, or at the very least, knew of its existence. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely owned it. All my friends owned it. A bunch of people that we've been talking to on Twitter are saying that it's the best one. They're wrong. But, you know, everyone's encouraged. Totally. And something worth keeping in mind is that this album sold 128,000 copies in its first week, which, you know, at the time was basically half the size of Canada, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, this is by far the biggest selling one. So mm -hmm. it's the most successful not the best, but we'll get into that on the episode. We'll talk about it. Yeah. And you may notice that there were two episodes in the stream today, and that's because we're also launching another part of the Big Shiny podcast, which we're calling Speaker's Corner, where we interview people that were involved in Big Shiny Tunes, whether it's musicians or much music employees and people like that. So the first episode was with Mark Teo about his book Shine, which covered the first Big Shiny Tunes. Uh, that was a really engaging conversation, chock full of information and totally worth listening to before checking out this episode while Big Shiny Tunes number one is still fresh in your heads. Uh, we want to say thank you to everyone that listened to the first episode. Uh, the support we got was fantastic. Uh, I got a bunch of really nice messages from people. A few people asked if we could start playing clips of the songs before we talk about them. Yeah. And we really would love to do that. And we looked into it, but it is uh, definitely illegal. And so uh, we can't. Uh, we will have the companion Spotify playlist as usual, but uh, that's the best we can do, I'm afraid. Yeah. So you want to give a sneak peek of what we got coming up here? Uh, so we have songs. Uh, there's uh, Walking Down the Sun by Smash Mouth, uh, Numb by Holly McNarland, which you all forgot about until just now. And immediately you can hear the chorus in your mind because that song was its own thing. Uh, Swallowed by Bush. A uh, bunch of bunch of great songs. Block Rock and Beats by the Chemical Brothers. It's the first uh, electronic song. So this is this is a this is a great album. You're gonna really like this episode. Yeah, and if you love the Tea Party, get ready because you're gonna be tempted to keep playing this one over and over again. Oh yeah, yeah, Jeff Martin, if you're listening, sorry. Uh, let's talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> but until that day, let's put away our pogs and make sure our Tamagotchis are well fed and dive into Big Shiny Tunes 2. Enjoy. Let's do it. Last week, we um, talked about just sort of our headspace as young um, preteen music listeners. We had the cassette tape that could... Uh, change its own sides. Oh, what a time to be alive. Yeah, we had some embarrassing anecdotes uh, by yours truly and uh, yourself as well. Um, actually, no, it actually didn't seem like anything embarrassing happened to you in 1996. I was surprised, but um, maybe we'll get to that in 1997. Yeah, I think it just didn't come out. There were definitely many, many embarrassing moments. <laughs> so 1997, um, do you want to uh, just kind of briefly talk about um, uh, just where your tastes were in line with this compilation overall? Uh, yeah. So it was, I mean, it was pretty dead on. It was at, I was 13 when this came out. So I was in like grade seven. Um, I was uh, actually, no, grade eight, because this is December 1997. So I was in mm -hmm. the eighth grade. I was 13 years old. 
uh, all my music was, I was listening to the radio constantly, but I didn't know, I couldn't drive and I wasn't allowed to take the SkyTrain or the bus anywhere because I was still, my parents didn't quite trust me to go out. We didn't have any good music stores in my own town. For, for listeners so, who don't know, the SkyTrain is not a train that runs on magic. It's literally a monorail. what I say? Monorail! Yeah, and if, if you've been to South Surrey Central Station, you'd know just how little magic there is on that goddamn thing. <laughs> It is a bleak set of trains. Um, so all all I had to sort of find new music was this uh, radio. Which, and the only station that we got that was worth listening to, in my opinion, as a 12-year-old, was 99.3 The Fox, mm-hmm. which was the, the rock radio station back home. Um, and it was my favorites were our equivalent of morning shock jocks. And it was Larry and Willie in the morning. They were just like silly guys. It was like a lot of prank calls, as I remember. And they did they did this thing called uh, Larry and Willie's Toughest Contest Ever. Uh, and we would listen religiously. My brother and I would walk to school. We'd leave early so we could listen to it on my Walkman, the same sort of cassette flipping Walkman. Yeah. And it was, uh, um, I remember one guy had to get a tattoo on his ass that said, lick me today. Uh <laughs> One guy, one guy, they flew him to Calgary and then he just had to get home without spending any money. <laughs> and so it was, it was just, it was great to listen to as, as a, like I was 12, my brother was nine or I was 13, my brother was 10. So mm-hmm. it was the funniest thing we'd ever heard in our lives, but they played all this kind of current alt rock, yeah, like blur, blur song two, which is on this was in constant rotation. That's the kind of, that's yeah. the kind of thing it was yeah. Sim- similar to the end, but I think a little less cool. Okay. So, so yeah, so that's mostly what I was like. like this was dead on for me. You couldn't have picked a, a more apt CD for my taste when wow. I was 13 years old. Cool. Yeah. What about you? I think as a kid in 1997, I was already feeling a different sort of disconnect between what's on this compilation and what I was into at the time. Um, I'm very jealous. Well, I, I think a big part of it is that I was getting more and more into learning the guitar. Um, mm-hmm. I think I even... No, I think I think I was one year away still. I don't think I started smoking pot till I was thirteen. That really, uh, perhaps, was a bit soon. But um, that's pretty early. <laughs> yeah, but but I, but I think this was the year I actually became into albums as a whole. So I remember liking a fair amount of the songs that were on this compilation. But then, whenever I'd go to the mall with my parents and go to an HMV, they'd have those listening stations. Mm-hmm. And 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 I remember like going through some of the albums that these songs appear on. And I felt disappointed by all the non-single songs. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah, I think I was already starting to go down a bit of a rabbit hole of just, um, like I mentioned last week, listening to, uh, 107.7, the end, uh, from Seattle and nice radio voice. Thank you. I was surprised by it myself. Very Um, good. but that said, yeah, like I, there's going to be a pretty funny, uh, disconnect, I, I think, in this episode's podcast because I definitely had m- more than I expected to um, a realization of how uh, far different my memories of this was compared to how I see it now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a good segue into that would be like last week, um, if you have them available, to just briefly talk about the top 10 um, American songs versus the top 10 Canadian. Again, the biggest the biggest divide between the two countries of like the states and Canada is just how crazy white Canada was. Mm-hmm. 
it's unbelievable. So th- so I'll I'll do the top the top ten in Canada, and then I'll do the states. Great. So we've got uh, number one, Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin, and I love Sarah McLaughlin unabashedly. Yeah, I Same. think she's fantastic. Great songwriter. There's an amazing interview with. Um, have you listened to Rick Rubin's podcast? I've heard a couple episodes, uh, but not all of it. No. He like fell into a deep depression, and Sarah McLaughlin's music is the one that pulled him pulled him out of it. And he spends half an hour just fanboying about Sarah McLaughlin. It's really beautiful. You should you should listen to it. Um, Jewel was number two with You Were Meant For Me. Uh, this is the Canadian top 10. One Headlight by The Wallflowers, famously by Bob Dylan's much less talented son. Um, that was catty. I don't know why I put, put that in there. I just don't really like Jacob Dylan. Um, Mbop by Hanson, the most sexually confusing uh, song of our generation. Staring at the Sun by U2. Uh, which I associate with Smash Mouth, which shows where my taste was at the time. Uh, Fly by Sugar Ray, which is the only song on the top 10 that made it onto this album. Yep. Uh, Then A Long December by Counting Crows, which uh, I still enjoy, but I don't know if it's because it's good or if because I vibed with it so hard when it came out and Mm. it's nostalgia. Um, I Want You by Savage Garden, which is a crime against music... um, even at the time, what slight, a, what a slight cool... disagreement on my part there, but uh, we can we can duke that out later if you'd like. Oh, but we're gonna do an extra episode just on on Savage Garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Elegantly wasted by In Excess. That was uh, right before he died, I think. Yep. What a shame that was. That was such a that was. I remember that comeback. That was pretty cool. And then Every Day Is a Winding Road by Sheryl Crow. So two crows in that counting crows and Sheryl Crow. Um, yep. Yeah. One, and... one one Canadian band. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then but then so you compare that all white artists, yep. um, all pretty much middle of the road sort of mom dad rock mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and then the American one, uh, some, uh, "Candle in the Wind" nineteen ninety seven by Elton John, famous uh, uh, tribute to Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember where you were when she died? By the way. Always no, got to ask. I Diana don't. can't come up without asking that. I remember. Do you really not remember? No, I, it didn't really register. I, I, I don't know if it's uh, because. No, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know why. I, I guess I'm not a good person uh, when it comes to the monarchy. Uh, well, that's unforgivable. But you know what? We've already started making this, so I can't kick you out as okay. a partner yet. Yeah. I was at I was at my neighbor Ross's house, and uh, he's the guy that introduced me to Marilyn Manson. Actually. We were listening to Marilyn Manson and Antichrist Superstar playing Doom on his computer. (laughs) And we're having a sleepover. My brother was downstairs watching TV and he came up and he said, I think Princess Diana's dead. And we said, you're an idiot and kept playing the game. (laughs) And then then we came down an hour later and she was dead. She he nailed it. He was really right on that one. Yeah, Uh, he he did. He has a history of uh, being there when events are announced. And I have a history of not believing him because kind of like Forrest Gump on the bench. Yeah, kind of, but like through through a screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so uh, so it was Candle in the Wind, nineteen ninety seven, Elton John. Then uh, You Were Meant for Me by Jewel, which is number two, is the same she was on in the Canadian one. That's the only one that overlaps. The the, the song that proves that you can have your eggs and pancakes too. Okay, I haven't heard that saying, but I like it. I think it's well. I haven't heard it either, but that that's what she says in the song. I've got my eggs. I got my pancakes too. I got my maple syrup. Everything but you. Those are not Jewel lyrics, and I there's no way that's true. Listeners, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> tell tell 
we'll let Chris know that he did not grow up next to a two-year younger sister who played that album every single day for a year. Are you? Is that yeah. really on there? People oh, yes. talked about her as a poet. That's so frustrating. I, th- I, th- I think <laughs> it was a misconstrued notion, much like um, the uh, electability of Sarah Palin, just because she was from Alaska. Oh, she's from uh, she's yeah. from she's from the last frontier. She must have thoughts that transcend most of American culture. She was homeless for a while. She's probably deep. Um, <laughs> um, uh, the next one is a tribute to uh, Biggie Smalls. I'll be missing you, Puff Daddy, featuring Faith Evans and One Twelve. Um, then you got "Unbreak My Heart" by Tony Braxton, uh, the worst song I've ever heard someone put on right before a comedy show. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> to that club um uh can't nobody hold me down puff daddy featuring mace mm-hmm. uh oh mace uh i believe i can fly by noted sex pest r kelly don't let go uh brackets love by on vogue return of the mac mark morrison how do i live by country superstar slash 14 year old leanne rhymes and wannabe by the spice girls so, so there is no overlap other than jewel in that top 10 And still only one song off this album made it onto either list. Yep. So so it feels like much music didn't really have their finger on the pulse necessarily. So let's, let's dive into the first moment that you as a preteen something year old kid. Yeah. 13, 13 years old. I was 12 in this case. White, white rock, white rock, British Columbia. Okay. I thought you were describing the genre of uh (laughs) um, (laughs) yes yes apt you you really got into moist better than ezra you know all the kind of great chunky alt leanings of the last (laughs) album you're stoked for some more the first song on this album i can't think of anything more jarring for the average listener than this next song which i think is a hands-down masterpiece still to this day if we're being honest, but um, we're talking about Prodigy's Breathe. This album does so, so many weird things and takes so many sharp left yep. turns. But one thing that I got to give it is across the board, even when they're like, regardless of which part of White Rock they're pulling yep. from, it is every single one of these songs has a lot of charisma. I think that there are a lot, like there are songs in here that I don't like, but I understand they still have that like, I understand why this was gotcha. a hit. There's like a charm to them. Gotcha. Uh, whereas on the last one, there were th- at least four songs that I was like, this is, there's no, they didn't even need to make this. But this is, uh, I, I get all these ones. And Breathe is like such an intense, weird way to start mm-hmm. for what ends up being a fairly middle of the road compilation. Like they really, yeah. it feels like they put their flag out on this intense. I'd forgotten that there's no verses. There's only the vague intimations of a mind that's, fallen into a pit of psychosis yeah it's just that this like, is it's something someone screams out of a k-hole such a burn shit down song um and it yeah. really i think reinforces the fact which is well it's funny because we're talk we've been t- well they had they had a song called Firestarter, so you think that'd be the one i mean they just continued that vibe that you can't call every song Firestarter <laughs> one number two number three but this really reinforces the fact for me that britain was very much 20 years ahead of north america with their cultural appropriation um yeah like yeah. like the clash yeah. were already writing reggae songs in the 70s and electronic music of the 80s and 90s became a movement that was way more collaborative and gesturing towards yeah. unity or something more than anything that was produced in the States. So for that reason, I think the coolest thing 
um, about starting the album with this song is that whoever curated it, it almost sound to me, it almost sounds like a sincere apology for a lot of what is to come on this album and almost somehow, and almost somehow <laughs> an, an apology for Canada itself. Um, wow. It's so weird that this, it felt like another British invasion was about to start with the song. Mm-hmm. And and the chemical yeah, brothers. Yeah, and the kind of big British beat electronic music happening, yeah. Yeah, and because it's weird because it was at the same time as like the Blur versus Oasis Britpop stuff. Mm-hmm. And we also still had like Spice Girls and I think there was one called like All Saints. And yep. so it was like Britain was coming at us, but not just with like pop music and the rock music. There was also this intense fucking like uh, uh, I think Goldie was around the same mm-hmm. time. He never really made it up back. Excuse me. Do you but remember like, KLF? They were so far ahead. No, I never heard KLF. That that's another tangent. But they famously um, hmm. took a bunch of their royalty money and burned it live on stage while people behind them shot blank uh, semi-automatic weapons into the um, I forget what it was called, but whatever the English MTV Awards were. And then and then they oh the Brit yeah the Brit Awards, and then they quit yeah. music forever after that performance. Greatest moment of wow uh, yeah wow. What you were saying about this being really far ahead. It felt like it was so far ahead that American music didn't catch up for like 10, 10 years. And I remember the first thing that I heard, like when I was, when I was listening to this, the two songs that reminded me of it in American music were hip hop songs. And one was, um, you got me by the roots, which is the one off things fall apart with Erica mm-hmm. Badu, where it's, it's all sort of really slow. But then at one point Questlove does this sort of drum and bass fill just for a second. And that was the first time that I'd heard anything of that like rhythm yeah. outside of this kind of stuff. It was like the electronic vibe. And then uh, Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast was, uh, they said they, they'd found drum and bass over in the UK and they wanted to sort of bring that into their music. There's actually a band that uh, I urge anybody who likes The Prodigy to check out called The Garden. It's two brothers, mm-hmm. two twin brothers from California they used to be models when they were in their teenage years and they decided they both hated it and started making music. And it's one of the craziest, um, most avant-garde things that's ever been on uh, Epitaph Records, the punk label that has... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's insane. And they, uh, in, in many interviews, they talk about how their favorite band of all time is Prodigy, which you can kind of hear in oh, some yeah. ways. But um, there's a real sort of energy to this nihilism that I think in a strange way hasn't dated as much as other um things we'll hear uh in Mm. compilations to come but this is one of those songs that absolutely stands up in like vibe and uh um, just intensity i don't know i i straight up love this song more i like it more now than i did then i I liked it then it's almost as if the world has caught up to uh the vision that the song sort of presents (laughs) yeah it's like one of those dark prophecies yeah. that you try to do everything to avoid, Definitely. but then by doing the things to avoid it, that's what makes it come true. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so what are we on to next um, year? All right. Uh, song two by mm-hmm. Blur. The One of the most uh, enduring stadium songs. Every single um, major league sports game I've ever gone to oh, yeah. plays the song. Oh, yeah. This song was in countless yeah. movies, countless commercials. Yeah. Um, and it's a real example of mainstream culture never understanding irony in a weird way. But there's no wink to it. It's done straight-faced, 
And so, like, without the context, you'd never well, know. But that's the because, problem. And I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think that's anyone's fault. I think that they just absolutely nailed it. And they made too good of an ironic yeah. song. And accidentally, that's why that's what made them huge. All the Blur musicians were aesthetes coming from art school, were into mm. kind of strange post-punk, like Graham Cox and the guy who like wrote most of the songs. Um, amazing musician, but uh, the thing is a hit is always a hit and sometimes you can't control it. But this almost seems to be a parody of the kind of song that would become a hit. It's It's the sort of dynamic yeah. of quiet verse, super loud chorus. And um, the fact that that irony just became commodified to the extent it was almost staggers me or almost staggers me in, in the sense of how big the machine that controls, I guess, the music industry really is at just taking any nuance or, th or way of approach that could, um, you know, allow you to use a different part of your brain and be like, okay, blur, I listened to the rest of your album, but we're really going to promote this single because it'll sound really good in a Budweiser commercial. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the the label's there to make money, right? That's that's what singles are <laughs> yeah. for, make that yeah. money. That's why that's why the B side is so often like the cool person's favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> so for that sort of ironic take on grunge, yeah. I don't think that they embellished it enough for it to count as ironic. I think that they made a good post grunge song. And I think that they that they want to tell you that they didn't, but secretly they just they made a song that they were like, yeah, this is fine. I'd have to disagree just because of the lyrics of the chorus. It's I have no clue what a single word. I've heard the song hundreds of times yeah. easily. Like this song, this song saved my school dances when I was thirteen because they would play slow songs and all the boys were too nervous and all the girls were waiting for the boys to ask them out. And so we were standing on either sides like a cartoon of teenagers. So, but we'd, we'd all be like nervous and standing on either side and sort of elbowing each other to try to get us to talk to a different girl. And then this song came uh -huh. on and everybody just hit the floor because there was no dancing with anyone to this right. song. And so you just jump up and down and then everyone screams woohoo. And it, it made those dances viable. And so if nothing else, it was unintelligible like a, a savior of sorts. There is not a single song like this one on um, the album that this comes from. And which album is it? Uh, again? I think it's just self titled. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I think for me also, it was one of those bands that had I actually bought the album um, that it was on, my musical mind would have been blown. Um, this band is a lot more nuanced and better than this song would leave you to believe but in a weird way uh the success they had with it probably allowed them to keep going on with their kind of wacky ideas so yeah do you think do you think anyone would have let damon auburn make the gorillas if he hadn't exactly. made hundreds of millions of dollars off exactly. song two <laughs> all right so we're on to semi-charmed life by third eye blind i hate all six of those words okay but do you hate this um, song here's another thing it's like I want to hate yep. it, but it's got some charisma. Yes. It's, there's something about it. It's like, it's clearly a hit. I don't like it, but I totally get that why it's a hit. It's, it's, it's in my head immediately. How do you, how do you feel? But do you remember when it came out? Yeah, I think so. Like I, I remember learning how to play it on guitar and all that, but this is one of my favorite kinds of songs. Um, I think I've realized over the years because it's sunshine pop in a sense with very, very dark lyrics. The song's about smoking crystal meth. 
Yeah. I think we're starting to see the content, the content, like the lyrical content of songs from this era were starting to matter less than how it just made you feel. Mm. If you could put it on and be yeah. like, oh man, I love this song. It feels so good. <laughs> I got to say that it's one of those, I mean, for me, I've got memories of um, working in a pub mm-hmm. and putting on Adam Green, uh, friends of mine. Yeah. Is that, that was the guy from Moldy is, Peaches? Uh, right. Yeah. 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 So he's got these, like, if you listen to the music, it's all just sort of like foot tapping, nice acoustic-y stuff. And um, uh, he's, there's a line on it called, there's no wrong way to fuck a girl with no legs. Okay. It's So he's he's singing stuff like that. And then, but over top of these, like, nice foot tapping. Right. Sort of bob your head beats that the, the, old, the old men would just, they would request it because they never listened to any of the words. Yeah. And that's the kind of vibe that I get off this is, like, they're rapping about, or sing rapping about hitting absolute rock bottom and like he he talks about wanting to die a few times in it and he's singing about b- doing meth but it's also got like do do do's in it yeah like he's like he's nardwar well and he uh he in, in an interview i read he talked about how um he wanted it to be a kind of san francisco response to that lou reed song walk on the wild side do you know that one wow that's a lofty goal but in a way it's like where he um uh, yeah, there's something about this song that I find very affecting. Um, and I think it's a well-written song. And it's one of those kind of catchy songs that I um, didn't get ultimately sick of, I think. Like maybe uh, this coming Smash Mouth song. But um, <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I, one thing I love about this is it's it's showing that you can rap about, or I keep saying rap, you can sing about um, coming to a rough place in your life and drug addiction Mm -hmm. and you don't have to be pretentious about it. Yeah. They made like an upbeat toe tapper (laughs) of a, (laughs) of a a monster hit. They have a best of third eye blind album as if there's another third eye blind song that you've heard. Yeah. None none as big as this one. None as big as this one for sure. That's, that's how big the song is. It was like, I remember when, um, uh, remember train. Unfortunately, Tears of Jupiter. Drops of Jupiter, and yeah. Drops of Jupiter, that was it. I remember um, they came out with the best of, and uh, Ed the Sock on Much Music. Canadian cultural hero, folks. Absolutely. He was our insult the comic dog. He, uh, he, he almost... Tri- triumphed the insult dog. Better better in some ways because of how much he had given up on life. I, I prefer uh, Ed the Sock personally. He said some messed up stuff about some people. He was really mean. But he said... He was doing an interview, I think, with Train, and they were releasing their best of, and he said, basically, if you like the song Drops of Jupiter, <laughs> it's just that 10 times. So <laughs> enjoy the best of Train. But that's that's how that's how big this song was. It was so upbeat, and it was about meth. And I remember being in the Dutch Panacook house with my parents and my brother. Wait, that you had we those? Waiting. in? I thought that was just in Victoria. That was a chain? Yeah, no, those are... Yeah, yeah, they're all over the place. Damn. Yeah, dude to Dutch. Wow. Uh, which my, my wife, my Dutch wife, hates. She's uh, it's she knows they did a bad job by just how poorly they named it, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, she's just she's not even a fan of Holland. She or the Netherlands now. She, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But it will go when we walk past one. It's about twenty minutes of fuck to Dutch. This is fucking. Are you kidding me? To Dutch? How does she <laughs> feel about old Dutch potato chips? Also another Canadian staple. Uh, fine with it. Good. doesn't bother her because uh, uh, I think it doesn't have Panacook in the name. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I'm in, I'm in a Dutch with my parents and my brother, and we're uh, uh, just waiting for our, our Panacooks to be, to be Dutched. And 
Third Eye Blind comes on. And I remember just, it's this nice, like, it's all families mm-hmm. hanging out and, and laughing and talking in this chain restaurant. And I turned to my brother and I was like, this song's about meth. <laughs> <laughs> just take that in while you look around this Dutch. <laughs> Forever shattering the bubbles of your younger siblings. I love that. I love it when someone can just sneak that that shit in. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, uh, do you want to talk about this next song, the Smash Smash Mouth Doozy? Sure. Um, I thought a lot about this song, actually, more than I thought I would, because um, at first I felt conflicted, and then I think I dug deep within myself and forgave some of the elements I always assumed I hated about Smash Mouth. But mm. what I will say about this song is that um, it feels like a true message song, like a rare song for me, where the lyrics more than the music itself are actually the point. Um, wow. I, I think the song reveals its intent right off the bat with a re- reference to that Coca-Cola ad from the 60s. Um, that, is a, that is a hot take on Smash Mouth, well, that the lyrics well, are get, the point. Well, get ready for more truth bombs here because I have a few more things to say. I, I want to I hear them all. So um, I think the song is about the inherent contradictions that came to define most of American culture from the 60s onward. Um, Mm. the lyrics are surprisingly deep, satirical, and, uh, like ruthless in describing a very real and very jaded disappointment about the failings of sixties boomer activism and how that sort of cynicism fully integrated itself into popular culture by the nineties. Um, so like, you know, in short, the Gen X worldview and what, what, Mm. what this song seems to be saying is that a true revolution and upheaval within the American landscape was always bound to fail because the majority of people (laughs) that participated in its descent, the majority of the people that were participating in its descent were only interested in doing it because it made them look cool amongst the tastemakers. And the fact that the song tries to sound like a song from that era, like from the sixties era Mm. is also, it's it's absolutely sixties Bob. Yes. And that's like a very clever twist because I I think that Mm. if you read the lyrics, it's actually a very, um, satirical critique on the nature of how we distract ourselves um, by entertainment while the world just goes up in flames. But the song itself just reminds me of the movie Animal House. Is that the, I guess the like, the so don't sit back, kick back and watch the world get bitch slapped. Bushwhacked, yeah. The way that the chorus is, yeah. so don't delay, act now, supplies are running out. It's all like um, uh, infomercial speak. Yeah. It reminded me of that song, um, Step Right Up by... Uh, Tom Waits of Closing Time, where the whole thing is just commercial slogans. Yeah. No muss, no fuss. Yeah. No kitchen drudgery. Um, everything must go. Everything must go. Going out of business. Going out of business. Going out of business. Sale. Um, and it's which is I never thought that I would be reminded of Tom Waits while listening to Smash Mouth. Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I think this is just one of those songs again that was played so much. Uh, when I was a kid and it's just something you grew up with that um, in having to sort of reevaluate what it's about, um, I was surprised to find that, yeah, these, you know, whoever wrote the lyrics, uh, I don't even know the lead singer's name, but um, they definitely took some um, liberal arts uh, courses, I think, on American culture because it's, uh, it's surprisingly satirical and in a weird way also reminds me of a band from the 90s which i don't think appear on any of these compilations but do you remember cake yeah yeah i crashed a car to cake yeah the same kind of um yeah. <laughs> sort of i don't know what to say almost like um uh 
damn it, there's a word I'm looking for. Um, the sort of like cheesiness of a sound, um, which mm. is uh, more of a vessel for its tongue-in-cheek lyrics. Like I, I yeah, mm. this song's surprisingly effective, um, m- more than I expected it to be. This is probably the one I was surprised by the most on re-listening uh, to it. Yeah, I guess it's like. And they look like buffoons. Yeah, they look the like guy is he's he's Guy Fieri. I was just gonna say Guy Fieri. Yeah. Yeah, he's Guy Fieri. He's he looks he looks like a joke. He looks like a ridiculous guy who hands you a beer bong. He's, yeah. He's the guy that holds a beer he bong. He looks like a character in an early Kevin Smith movie or something like. Yeah, one that even all the people in the movie hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he shows up and he's like, "Hey, you guys want to party?" And like, "Get the fuck out of here, Dave." But but again, like they they it reminds me of hornless ska. Yeah, no, I I, I and and they're from California, and I think um there's a couple more yeah. um tracks on this compilation that still uh that seem to be birthed from the same um egg, yeah. which is just like this the next yeah. the next track for sure. Uh huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I, I would say that uh, yeah. Again, like one of these songs that I grew up with, uh, didn't dislike, didn't hate, but um, yeah. Now, now that I've reevaluated it, I'm pretty impressed by uh, the stuff they snuck into the lyrics. But um, but again, maybe n- it's not a prodigy though. That's the thing. It's not- oh, definitely not. I I hated this band on principle for years, <laughs> and then I was. I remember I was out drinking with a friend of mine, a comic, Dylan Gott, and he is unabashedly a huge Smash Mouth fan. Wow. He calls them the mouth. <laughs> He's <laughs> Dude, like, I mean, how dare you take that nickname away from Wide Mouth Mason, man? That's what I call Wide Mouth Mason. You can't call... They're the wide. They're the wide. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he will... He defends Smash Mouth for... He'll do it for hours. He doesn't give a shit. Like, he loves them. <laughs> that, that's and his thing. And I remember laughing at him and making fun of him. And then I was listening to this and I was like, I think I owe Dylan an apology. This is, I can't hate this. Yep. I, I absolutely get why people like it. It's, it's totally feel good. And now that, now that you talk about, I mean, I'm not sure it goes quite as deep as you went, but they, um, they're definitely doing more than it said. It, it feels like a sugar coated pill at times. But yeah, in, in um, the Coca-Cola ad, the first lyrics are, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. But in Smash Mouth, it's, it ain't no joke. I'd like to buy the world a Toke and teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. So oh. I, I, I do think there is a depth to this song that is about um, the disillusionment that came from the failed uh, baby boomer revolution of the 60s. And Again, by taking on the characteristics of a lot of the music made in that time, this song is definitely not an alt-rock song. This song is um, yeah. very kind of precisely 60s referencing. So read the lyrics, folks. Yeah. Read the lyrics. There's always more than you know. Yeah, I see girls like mashing potatoes on the beach <laughs> yeah. and, and with hula hoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you if you have any hot uh, Smash Mouth takes or uh, other ways in which they should be blowing our mind politically, tweet tweet us because I'm 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 gonna have to sit and think a lot about Smash Mouth now. But whatever because... you do, please stop tweeting us images of Guy Fieri eating hamburgers because that's not what this is about. That's not what this is no. about. Tweet us pictures of Action Bronson eating hamburgers for sure, but not <laughs> Guy Fieri. Uh, so yeah, so the next song is "Fly" by Sugar Ray. The unofficial 
anthem of Iceland's independence from Denmark, released on the same day. That's we need to. I think that that's how we can really affect change in the world is to try to make Iceland acknowledge how important Fly was to their time. They Sugar Ray is is their Sugar Man. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen the video of Mark McGrath coming out a club of out of a club in the late '90s, probably high on cocaine, um, trying to disperse the paparazzi by saying "Make a hole, gentlemen," um, then you should, <laughs> especially for the scene where he chews out a 15-year-old kid who he assumes yelled "Sugar Gay" off camera. We don't know if that he was him, but he was really he mad. really mad at that kid. Really, he looks mad. like he's gonna fight that kid. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's 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 so close to getting violent. Who would have thought he would be so lovey-dovey though in a song like "Fly"? He is so defensive because they wanted to be a punk band, yep. and then they changed to make money yep. because clearly someone at the record label was like, "Listen, you can sing okay, but you're handsome, and we've got this song, and and if you do it, then you will make a lot of money." And he said, "Yep, yeah, cool, no problem." And I can't. I mean, I can't fault him for that. I would never think of Mark McGrath as like an artist. No. Um, you know, he's a, he's, he's, he's a guy that, that wanted to make a living out of music and he succeeded and that's incredibly hard. But I think that he must be so defensive, or at least when he was younger. For sure. Because he was like, he knows that, he knows that this isn't the music he wanted to make. Well, and, and there's definitely, um, that kind of oversight you're talking about, I, I think in the sense of what they became after this album, um, which was a band that, you know, was trying to create pop music, which I don't care. Yeah. Like I, lo- I love pop music, but, um, the stylized cultural pastiche nature of this song, like the fact mm. that it has a reggae guest vocalist, I think is yeah. partly responsible for, um, it's, it, again, it's this very specific 90s aesthetic that we're going to see a lot more of. And, yeah. and one really truly bizarre aspect of this song is that it appears twice on the album um, once with, oh, really? yeah, once with the super cat reggae parts and once yeah. without. So it's almost as if the record company was trying to give the option for listeners. Hedging their bets. Yeah, just like, they, <laughs> hey, listen, you have the choice. If you, you decide how much you have to think about or interact with black culture. But yeah. um, well, it, does, it does have that weird, like, two-thirds of the way through, there's like a reggaeton breakdown. Well, he, he's all, yeah, and, and that's kind of the best part of the song. And that reggaeton it is. Ba- breakdown <laughs> without Supercat over it is totally useless. Um, it just sounds like garbage. They don't still do it. That would be they so do. funny they if do. they left that. Um, no. It's, it's one of the weirdest erasures I've ever heard from a very popular song. It was just like, okay, well, you know, this is kind of not flying really well with our listeners down south, so we have to do a radio edit where um, Reggae Man doesn't get to appear on it. Oh, my God. It's like it's like, it's like like how they'll clean up swears, but they just took the black eye off. Oh, my God. No, it's just like, I don't understand what this guy's saying. It makes me uncomfortable. Jesus. You know, it's like... This using and discarding of black culture became one of the hallmarks, I think, of the last half of the 90s that differed from previous decades since it ended up being done with a spirit of intense cynicism and yeah. self-righteous anger as opposed to joy and celebration. It's so fucked up. That's such a shame because I, th- I was thinking, like, good for Sugar Ray because you know that Mark McGrath wanted to sing those parts himself. You know that he wanted yeah. to do reggae parts, but he was like, no, no, no we'll bring in a, a reggae artist that no one's heard of. Um, yeah. I mean, in like these circles, I'd never heard of Supercat before and, and we'll put him on the track and it, and you know, it's not, it's not a feature to get listens. He adds to the song and I was like, that's really cool and weird 
And I'm glad that they did it because they could have definitely done it. I mean, Anthony Kiedis would have done it for sure. He would have just done mm -hmm. it himself. And so that's such a shame that there's that, that they took it off because I literally thought like this might be one of the few redeeming characteristics about Sugar Ray is that they had Supercat on this track. And no, they had they wanted to have it both ways. That's crazy. Sure. That's such a shame. If if I could distill the vibe of this song and Mark McGrath himself down to a short visual montage, it would be this. It'd be this. Okay, picture yourself uh, as President Bill Clinton. Always. You wake up. You're unre You're unreasonably, or perhaps unseasonably horny. And you have sex with your 20-year-old intern, Monica Lewinsky. Yep. After a long day of presidential philandering, yep. you go get high and watch clips of yourself jazzing out with your saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah, that sounds right. There's something so con self-congratulatory, I think, about the... It's like, look how cool we are. We got this reggae guy on a track, but also like, oh, you don't want to hear the reggae guy? Sure, here's, here's another version of the yeah, song. Yeah, no problem. We can get rid of him, no problem. <laughs> He feels like Spineless. he feels like proto Fred Durst. Mm -hmm. Very apt. Yeah, like he opened the door. Like Mark McGrath crawled so Fred Durst could walk. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, and that's why now Mark Mark McGrath is is on Entertainment Tonight. Okay, so there's this great uh, clip you can see online of Art Alexicus from Everclear and Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray. Probably late, early, like mid two thousands, okay. where they are advertising a festival that they, I guess, were the spokespeople of called Summerland, and it is advertised specifically for fans of theirs who now have kids, and so it's a daytime festival that ends by around nine p.m. Nice, <laughs> where you get to see Everclear, Sugar Ray, and probably uh, a few other handfuls of your favorite nineties artists played just in time to get back for the babysitter. I'm looking at the, the lineup right now. I found the Wikipedia page. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's Summerland 2012, uh, Everclear, oh, Everclear, the gin blossoms, uh, lit of oh. my own worst enemy fame, which has got to be on one of these big shiny tunes. You know, that made it, uh, Marcy playground, uh, <laughs> and sugar Ray, uh, it was named in the 10 hottest summer package tours of 2012 by Rolling Stone. Jesus Christ. The next year they had a live filter and sponge. On some level, no matter how you feel about the band or Mark McGrath himself, you really have to appreciate the hubris of a line uh, such as, all around the world, statues crumble for me. Uh, that's pretty arrogant. That is. Well, think how awesome you must feel if you can sell, if, if you wow. put that line down. He must have felt so good for like two years and then miserable for the rest of his life. Imagine imagine having that thought. My goodness. <laughs> the confidence that comes with that thought. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Take that, that is... Ozymandias. He thinks, he thinks he's who Nietzsche was writing about. That's who he <laughs> thinks he is. I am the Ubermensch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, let's move on to the next one, uh, which is uh, Drinking in L.A. by Brand Van 3000. I yes. am really, really curious to hear what you think about this song. It's, it's, it's one of those songs that I, I remember like in the 90s, if you were ever at a party and it would come on, like most people just kind of start nodding their heads and sort of like, this song's pretty good. Oh. It's, it's, it's a feel-good song. It's definitely melancholy, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it, it has a special place, but it's. I almost feel strange talking about it for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe because they're from Montreal too. Like I don't know. Yeah, maybe you were pr you were pretty protective of David Usher in the last episode. So <laughs> I got I got uh, You know, this is an island, and we have to fortress it. Yeah, I get that. I, I respect your loyalty. <laughs> um, 
This, it's a it's a shame that um, uh, Broken Social Scene isn't going to be on any of these albums. Because They're not maybe, protected. May, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, when this came out, I remember this coming out and it being everywhere. It was played, it was yeah. in the highest rotation of like any song I remember. And I think it seemed so high because I had an irrational hatred of this song. Oh, wow. Interesting. I hated it. I It really like, it made me angry every time that it came on. I love it now. I, I really enjoy it. By the time... It, it fell into that same. Um, it fell into the same category of, of once in a lifetime by the Talking Heads for me. You hate that. You hated that song too. I hated that song. I hated wow. it so much. It wow. just. I and I can't even tell you why. There was just something about that style of talking Does it have to do over with the a song. Repetition of it, maybe. I honestly, I I think wow. there was something about just people talking instead of singing that made me irrationally furious. What what do you think is the difference between um, how you feel about it now versus when you were hearing it? What changed? I can appreciate it more. It's it's not a kind of music that I'd heard at all. Um, stylist, I was more used to just like upfront rock and roll. Yeah, uh, and so that that annoyed me, and I didn't like how it felt self indulgently sad. <laughs> it felt like in the same way that like people was make fun of me because I still say like, I don't like artists um, because I get along. I like a lot of them, but I don't like, like, you know, the artists that call themselves artists when you introduce yourself to them. It's been a few years, but yes, I can. Yeah. Yeah. They go, hi, my name is Gerald. I'm an artist. And you go, I already know just by that one statement, I know everything that I need to know about you and I don't like any of it. (laughs) It's, it's, it felt, it felt like a, um, it felt like a poor me kind of song. And okay. I was raised. I was raised in a pretty sort of um, self-reliant, conservative household. Yeah. Where it was, you do the job and and you don't complain. Kind of vibe. That was always my house. My dad was in the navy. My mom any, got no breaks. Any any motions towards genuine human sadness had to be uh, capped and discarded. No, from <laughs> no, but oh, earned. It had to be earned, earned sadness. Okay. That's the thing. So you feel like this... the, at the time it was just like the chorus really sad and it's like what the fuck is this guy singing about in the verses like get a job. It was yeah it was very much like well then leave LA idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was I was a really cynical 13 year old. I was very pragmatic. But now uh, as a grown adult man how do you feel about this song? Well now it's my goddamn life. <laughs> 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 replace replace London for LA. I'm I'm living in this goddamn song and now I <laughs> and now I see it and it makes me it it gives me it both gives me empathy for Brand Band 3000 and self-hatred. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's like this song became a tool towards your uh process of self-discovery. <laughs> Yeah, and the worst part is they're singing about doing it at 26. I'm 36. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 26, even 27, the age that Kurt Cobain died, seems yeah. insanely young to me now. And I'm I'm 34. Like, I'm not, yeah. you know, it's seven years, but it's like, whoa, buddy. But it's like, so young to die. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yeah. And uh, I mean, that's one thing that I love about stand-up is all of my favorite comics, they didn't start to get good until they're like mid-30s. You have to go through like cycles of failure, like a kind of failure yeah. where you're like, okay, I failed. Now's the time I'm going to really get back into it. And then you fail again. Yeah. And then it's also like you have to be old enough to see your own failings honestly and forgive yourself for them. Yeah. 
which as a as a young person is a lot harder to do and forgive other people's failings see them with empathy so that's i mean i am forever thankful that i'm in comedy and not in music or acting because we only get better with age i am so if, if man if live stand-up ever comes back <sighs> buddy i'm gonna be so old can't wait again brand van probably thought they were old at 27 in some respects they were compared to like an 18 year old but mm. the sampling on it is a bit all over the place and and i and i do think there's something awesome about it which is not it's not anybody's one story it's actually mm. um many different characters and sounds within it and so yeah it's actually it's a very sad song when you think about it they're lost you can feel the aimlessness in it now yeah that i couldn't identify with as a 13 year old because everything was decided for me so there were very few choices to make whereas <laughs> now it's like i understand it's like oh, i put so much time into this and what the hell am i doing and those yeah. moments of self-doubt are are omnipresent among creative people there's always yeah. going to be nights where you're lying in bed and you're like what the hell am i doing yeah and then the next day maybe you forget all about it and you make something cool or you don't care anymore but those like that's that's the only thing that i found that's consistent among every creative person i've ever met is those breakdown moments of why have i wasted my time with this why am i here <laughs> i got a sketch idea for brand van 3000 you uh yeah make a follow-up song about reforming called what the hell am i doing singing drinking in la so it becomes ah. a song about having to always play your hit which oh that does know, sound depressing i would commend them and yeah love them all the more yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds like a really heartbreaking, beautiful thing to watch. <laughs> I mean, I know it's supposed to be funny, but now I'm picturing it and it really bums me out. <laughs> All right, um, so so now. next song. Speaking mm -hmm. of bumming people out, "Beautiful <laughs> People" by Marilyn Manson. So you you hated the last Marilyn Manson song. By the way, Marilyn Manson is one of the very few acts on on here. There's only three acts that made it to both big shiny tunes. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Bush X, and Radiohead. So Marilyn Manson made the cut for both. You hated Sweet Dreams. I don't think people now will understand just how afraid of Marilyn Manson parents were. Yeah. There was real fear. Like, do you remember a few years ago when there were clowns and just showing up in towns in the woods? I mean, I remember things where it's just like clowns like chasing random strangers and stuff. Yeah. People, kind of thing, people yeah. were more afraid of Marilyn Manson than the forest clowns. <laughs> and we are now at... Numb by Holly McNarland, uh, one of four Canadian bands on this, I think, mm -hmm. if memory serves. Yeah, we got Brand Van, Holly McNarland, Tea Party, and Widemouth Mason. And um, it's, we were saying before, off mic, that uh, it's a real shame that the Canadian bands are basically the worst bands on here. Yeah. And, and that's that's two big shiny tunes in a row. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, Holly McNarland is, I guess it's fine. She felt like... She felt like slightly edgier counting crows. Hmm. Yeah. I, I almost see her as, um, you know, like Alanis Morissette was a big Canadian export at this time. And this sort of feels like mm. much music was trying to find someone else that they could maybe push forward that had the same qualities as her, um, at, le at, at least on paper. I couldn't. I don't remember anything that she says. I don't even remember how <laughs> she's saying numb. Like the chorus is lost on me. This was a big meh for me. What What do you think this song is about, Chris? Uh, no idea. <laughs> That's the appropriate reaction, I think. Yeah, 
I, I could not tell you. I mean, it's got to be sadness because it's called Numb. And I remember the sort of atmosphere of the song, but not in any, like, I couldn't tell you any of the notes. I couldn't tell you any of the melody. I have no idea how it goes. You have no, uh, you have no thoughts whatsoever on the line, safety of the rubber glove seem much too simple. I feel like I've never heard those words in my life. That's, that's where this song is with me. It just made no impact. It was, I, again, like I listened to it and I, I could tell why they put it on the radio. I think it had like some qualities of a radio song at the time, but it does absolutely nothing for me. I don't even hate it. That's the worst part mm. is I'm just like, I just don't care. I am, uh, I, I give this a, a nonplussed. That's how I rate this. The funniest thing to me about this song is that Joey Santiago, the guitarist from the Pixies, produced her entire record and plays on this song. I, I wish I had more to say about it because it's one of the uh, few um, female voices on the record. But I think yeah. it just kind of shows you like how sort of uncaring uh, the people who worked at Much Music were at this time about just giving a voice. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to have a female musician on here, then uh, it's got to be this. I don't know. Yeah, when also like I mean some of the choices for Canadian bands in general are super weird on this. Like Yeah. Our Lady Our Lady Peace released Clumsy at this this year and that's not on here. And that was a huge hit. We'll get to them. I'm not though. saying it's we'll like We'll get to them. I can't wait. I'm not saying it's a good song, but I'm amazed that it's not on here. And someone said something to me years ago about Canada and the way that it treats its talent. They said Canada doesn't like you. Uh <laughs> Unless you're unsuccessful in Canada or super successful somewhere else. Those are the two qualities that we like at our things. If you're only big in Canada, we hate you. Except for the tragically hip. They get a pass. Wow. But it's so true. But yeah, it's it's very much like you either have to be like an, a scrappy underdog or a global sensation. Yeah. And there's... I think that that explains so many of the bands that are on here because they're not very good. And there were great Canadian bands at the time. And for some reason, none of them are on here. Yeah. It's such a shame. There's so many, so many good bands. Yeah. It, it's weird living abroad because I feel like it's my patriotic duty to point out when someone's Canadian. Yeah. So like a band will come on, I'll be like Canadian or an actor in a movie. Oh, he's Canadian. And... <laughs> And even I'm amazed sometimes at how talented a lot of the musicians we put out are. Mm -hmm. And then and then you look at stuff like this and you go, why do we hate ourselves so much? Why are we like this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, what can you say? Um, all right. Next one. Swallowed by Bush X. And again, if you didn't listen to the last episode uh, and you're not Canadian, then Bush was called Bush everywhere else in the world, except for Canada, because there was another band from like the 70s that no one had heard of who just would not let them have the rights to it. And so they had to add an X yep. to the end. Yeah, take that, UK. Yeah, <laughs> not, a, not on my yard. You, you think we're going to adhere to your commonwealth? Uh-uh. <laughs> we're going to make it. Just you wait. We're <laughs> Come back to her. It's coming. Uh, maybe then one of us will star in Constantine. Yeah, how about that? What do you think uh, about that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, this, this was, uh, Bush was a really important band for me at this time, uh, which is crazy to say out loud. Yeah. Uh, but I still know every word to the song. Okay. This is one of the, it might be the only song on this album that I know every word to. I'm surprised, but, uh, okay. It was, I loved them. I listened to them all the time. My main memory, like my happiest memory of listening to Bush is washing the dishes with my brother and whoever was washing got to pick the music 
because drying was the better job. <laughs> and so so you had the worst job, so you got to pick the music. And I just picked Bush over and over and over again. I, I loved their music. Um, and so I, honestly, I have nothing else to say about it. I have no deep thoughts about Bush. I don't think there's anything deep about them. They were just upfront, middle of the road rock mm -hmm. that had like just enough angst for me and like weird symbolism in their music videos with flies and suitcases and shit <laughs> and and that's all i needed and uh, uh i don't regret it because i was 13 and so taste is what it is but i like i don't think i've put on a bush album since but yeah basically i know all the words yeah i used to love them and now uh i've moved on okay what about you well there's a few things i'd like to say about this song um first off way too long this song is almost five <laughs> minutes long okay there's a plotting all-encompassing sadness to the song a mournful mm. british sadness yeah. felt by everyone living in the uk at the time and this is understandable since at the time of the great nation along with elton john they were all reeling healing and paying tribute to the unexpected loss of their cultural flame Biggie Smalls, a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G. Rest in peace. <laughs> R.I.P. Biggie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this, this song really showcases, I think, the reasons why, um, in the previous episode, you mentioned why Bush were maybe considered not the most interesting band. You know, the it's mm. like more than a pretty face. But to me, this yeah. song really and truly sounds like if the Pixies kicked out Frank Black, replaced him with a hunky babe, and then tried to write the song Hey together as a band wow. um and like since this was before the internet you could still get away with these kinds of ripoffs but if you're listening listen to this bush x uh, sorry bush now uh listen to this bush song um followed by the pixies hey it is an astounding ripoff where they somehow manage wow. to take the core elements of the song and replace it with the most like drudgerous sad hunk vibe i've ever heard in a Bush jesus song. okay we're we're gonna we're gonna have a link to that pixie song <laughs> in the description because i've never i i'm pixies is one of those bands that i know that i should love and i have never listened to you don't even have to uh, love them it's just actually I, you can tell that but I've, I've never even i've never even given them a shot like i don't know any of their music so i'm i'm looking forward to hearing this i'm gonna hear it for the first time well i'm gonna go out on a limb here and ask um is there anything about this band that you feel an affinity for because you are half British in a sense that your your father's British, right? Yeah, no, my my half Irish side wouldn't allow that that kind of uh, pro British <laughs> okay. sentimentality. Okay, okay. That, you know, your your you know, dad's your dad's more Irish than British. Uh, no, my my dad is English and my mom is Irish. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, dad's from Manchester, mom's from Dublin. Yeah, so. okay. So the Irish yeah. always punch out. They always punch out the uh, disagreeable elements. It's great. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't allow for any of that, but they do love a mournful song. Oh, baby. Oh, man. Is there a country with sadder art? <laughs> Russia. Um, <laughs> I remember my mom gave me a copy of The Dubliners by James Joyce when I was 15. Yeah. And she's like, they made us read this in school. Give it a shot. And I remember I read two of the short stories and was like, Jesus Christ. Come on, guys. Did, did I tell you? Uh, did I tell you how I'm um, trying to read Ulysses right now? Oh really? And and Sarah and Good I, luck. Sarah and I went out to um, the 
the cabin. Like I've already read a hundred pages. It has footnotes. Like I actually, yeah. yeah, I found some of it like pretty readable, but I was like, this is great. Like we're going to be here for three days. I'm totally going to, um, go deep into this, uh, just cause mm-hmm. the day's open-ended. And then as soon as we got to the cabin, this woman, this place, she had a bookshelf. And then I saw Bruce Springsteen's autobiography <laughs> and I read that the entire time. I was like, fuck you, James Joyce. Yeah. Like I'm not reading yeah. this bullshit. Yeah. 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 yeah, man. He was, it was purpose. It's like Tristam Shandy. They're, they're daring you to read yeah. it. They're just like, you stupid idiot. Read my book. You, you dumb fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, stupid James Joyce. Uh, how did, how did we go straight from Bush to James Joyce? I'm really proud of us. Me too. We are um, geniuses. <laughs> um, uh, so we're going, yeah. Like you were saying, sorry, back to back, back, to back. white, white mournful. Oh, I was going to say back to back. Here we have two studs, Rob Thomas, <laughs> Rob Thomas, Florida bad boy. When I found out they were from Florida, that made perfect sense. I loved this song when it came out oh, I and I hate you might. myself. I thought you might. I hate myself for loving it. I fucking loved it. You're, we put it in, we put it in um, a play that I was in when I was in drama class, eighth grade, eighth grade play. We had to write uh, like a one act play basically and perform it ours was about i don't remember why but it was about drug and spousal abuse um it was really really heavy things that we had no business talking about as suburban white kids from happy homes so we played there was like the uh, the pinnacle of the of the play right it's <laughs> it's all climaxing i'm i'm the abuser i'm uh, I've, I've got my hands handcuffed behind my back and um i'm in i'm in the courtroom and I've just been sentenced guilty. And the uh, the guy, the brother of my like wife in the play who had been beating, uh, runs up and he punches me in the stomach while push by Matchbox 20 plays. Wow. And he got too into it and he really punched me in the stomach. He winded me and knocked me over a couch. <laughs> but it was, I remember listening to it and thinking like, this song felt so deep. Okay, let's, let's try and... Um... You know, let's do a little bit of uh, psychological hypnosis here. Your your thirteen year old Chris Betts. You probably were beginning okay. to grow a beard already. Um, <laughs> you probably were making fun of people that fell down justly. But what when this song yeah. first entered into your life? What did it make you feel? It reminded me of like movies. Like it really felt deep. Mm. It felt like a big deal of a song. It felt really like. It felt earnest in the way that only teenagers appreciate, and um, it felt like it was it in the, it struck the exact same chord that Creed's "My Own Prison" struck. Uh, do, with do, me. do they appear on any of the compilations, Creed? I don't think. I so. think that they show up. I think they show up in a couple of them. Okay, like in in two Big Shiny Tunes time. I look forward to I dissecting think. that. But but you weren't human um, clay. You yeah. were, were you were you raised religious at all? Were your parents? We went to church until I was about six, and then my parents, or maybe seven, and my parents realized that it wasn't taking, yeah. and so they just stopped. That's so funny. That's <coughs> that's pretty much my experience, too. My, my dad would... Really? Yeah, my dad would bring us, my sister and I, to church until I was about probably this age, um, and I actually mm. just remember, like, he's like, time to go if you want to come to church, and I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, yeah that's no choice at all but but to me there's like something about um this band or like just the vibe of it that again it, like like that better than ezra song is almost 
Christian Rocky to me. Like it's it's th- yeah, it's, it's it's like this right threshold of edgy enough without actually yeah. being that edgy. And and yeah. e- even interviews I was reading with him about the song, he was just like, some people were really upset because they thought I was talking about beating up my girlfriend in the chorus. But I even I didn't even think that. I just thought it was just kind of like, yeah. oh, like, you know, the same way that Marilyn Manson would be, uh, you can't smell your own shit on your knees. Like the edgy, <laughs> the edgy Christian version of that is just like, I'm going to push you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, have you ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah, a few episodes. So there's a, there's this one where Captain Holt is uh, uh, pretending to be like a bad guy in a prison cell. Okay. And, uh, and he's like, I once shoved a man just to watch him frown. Johnny Cash, you ladies know, yeah. and gentlemen. That is, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, I took his dollar from him. I didn't tell him that he overpaid me. <laughs> I knocked the cup out of his hand, then felt bad and picked it back up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the next song is Precious Declaration by Collective Soul. Collective Soul is the band that when I want to make fun of this era of yeah, music, yeah. I always go to Collective beautiful, Soul. Beautiful. I love that that's your reaction. They're exactly the band that is the most ridiculous that I yes. enjoyed. Oh my I God. liked them. Dude. I liked them so much, but they're, it's so if they feel like the band when like, you know, when in like a movie, you'll see uh-huh. where like a, there's a marriage and the dad will like get his high school band back together to play a song or two. Yes. That's Collective Soul. It's a dad band at a wedding. Yeah, it's interesting that that's, you like s- go ahead. That's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. It's like the wrong vibe. They totally misjudged the gig. <laughs> well, it's interesting cuz you say that cuz I mean like yeah, like we're not trying to forensically dissect every song on here, but I I was like, "What? Well, yeah, why does this band annoy me so much?" And there's two reasons for it. Um I mean, I yeah, I'll I'll get to um one point I want to ask you after this, but I think uh one thing that annoys me about this band is that um they uh wrote a song about how happy they were about getting a record label to change the terms of their contract. That's literally what the song is about. It's about how good he felt when he got his lawyers to uh say that collective soul or at least he himself got like a 10% uh, increase in his royalties. Um, but is that what this is about? Yeah, that's literally what the song is about. Um, oh my God. I, I also, I can't take this <laughs> band on any sort of emotional level just because I am haunted by the memory. And this is what I said I was going to get back into. Um, I think when you were talking about being at dances and Blur's song two came on, I have this. Mm memory which haunts me to this day um me and this kid brent i don't know how i met him i think he might have been on a baseball team when i was in grade six but him and i um got into this thing i guess like in grade six grade grade five grade six and possibly part of grade seven but i think it was uh when i was 10 and 11 we were on each other's baseball team and um Mm. we would be each other's wingman when we went to different community slow dances so you got to have a wingman. Yeah. And so I remember yeah. this one uh, slow dance that was happening at the Gordon Head Rec Center in Victoria, British Columbia. H- him and I 
had the poor decision of wearing the exact same outfit, matching outfits. <laughs> there w- was a girl there who I had met at a previous. I love that so much. Yeah, there there was a girl who I'd met at a previous slow dance there, and and I was like, when can I see you again? And she was like, I'll be at this mm. one. So the only reason nice. I was going there was for that. Um, yeah, I remember Collective Souls, the world I know was playing as a slow song and I okay. and I had been too scared to talk to her all night. I went up to her and she said no. And I remember no. I remember crying and skulking away from the dance floor into the pinball room where Brent, my wingman, was being hung upside mm. down by a teenager at least twice his size shaking out all the coins from him like a fucking cartoon. <laughs> Are you kidding no, me? No, man. Like, like Biff. Like Biff. That is insane. Yeah. I didn't know that actually happened to people. Yeah. We were wearing the same plaid cut off at the arms tank tops, and I can see why we were picked on. But <laughs> whenever I think of Collective Soul, I think about the song and I hate them for it, even though it's not their fault. I absolutely hate them for it. And my question to you, Chris, about the song, because that's all, that's all I can say. Otherwise, I'm going to have to stop this podcast because I'll have a breakdown. But um, wow. The, o- wow. the thing I want to ask you about this song is, did you know that their name, Collective Soul, comes from a line in an Ayn Rand book called The Fountainhead? And I remember once you oh, told God. me, you said you read Ayn Rand some years back just so you could be better equipped to talk to idiots that love her. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. It wasn't The Fountainhead, though. I read Atlas Shrugged, right. and it's one of the worst books I've ever read. It's so badly written. And the ideas are so insane. Can, can you draw any parallels between how Collective Soul makes you feel and how Ayn Rand makes you feel? You know what? Actually, the fact that they wrote Precious Declaration about <laughs> making more money is the most Ayn Rand shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it just, that's all she wrote. That would have been her favorite song. I got, I, I eked 10% more out. <laughs> Let, let's make some art. <laughs> Okay, before um, before we move on to the next song, which is, yeah. I mean, this is a really rough three songs in a row to put people through. Uh, is it everybody? We'll get Jesus it, Christ. Worry. But um, but to go, they did this on the last one too. They had three songs back to back that we were like, "What are you doing here?" But um, so you told me that you were wearing a plaid tank top. Mm-hmm. I need to know the rest of that matching outfit. Well, okay, first of all, it wasn't quite a tank top. It had buttons. So it was like a tank top that you actually, if you unbuttoned it, would open on either side. So it was um, a vest. It, you wore a vest with no yes. shirt underneath. A plaid yes. vest. Yes, Amazing. exactly. Amazing. Yep. I think at this time I was also gelling my hair up a little bit too. Oh, like spikes? You have curly yep. hair. Uh, not at the time. I didn't go curly t- until about uh, 14 years old. Okay. Hormones. Wow. So spiky gelled hair, a plaid yeah. vest with no yeah, shirt and, underneath. And what about, were you wearing jeans, sweatpants, shorts? Uh, I think I had for the dance. Tearaways? Uh, no, not tearaways, but really oversized jeans. Not not because of my size, just it was really it was kind the of style. baggy. Not in a 70s way, but in a way where it looks like you bought five sizes up from your actual like yeah. like like finger 11. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, okay. And uh shoes, sneakers, Timberlands? Uh no, sandals. I think I think I actually had at this point if if I was 12 years old, 
I can't. I I may be wrong about this, but it's possible I had the brand of shoes that had lights on it as you walked. Oh, Reeboks, nice. And it was, uh, it was like a knockoff Reebok, though. It's called like okay. LA Lights or something. I don't oh know. yeah, LA Lights. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> okay. And what? Okay, so what happened when? I mean, we can cut this if we need to, but I need to know for. I need to know for me. So you walk into the pinball room. Your friend is yeah. literally being dangled upside down so change will fall out of his pants. Yeah. What happened next? Did you try to fight it? Did you watch it until it was over to commiserate? Did you just go and have your own sadness in the corner and be like, he's sad enough? I think I went up to the people shaking him and said, stop. And they they replied, fuck off. And Imagine. then I... And then I went to one of the dance supervisors. I was crying at this point, too, because of the situation with um, Brent and also getting rejected. And then I said, can I use your phone? I want to call my parents so I can go home. And I think I went home. Oh, okay. So you just left him there, though. That was it. To be honest... I mean, I you're a little kid. I'm not, I'm not, do. I'm the, not judging these, you. I'm not judging people, you for it. I'm the, just wondering. The thing was is that this was at a rec center, and mm. the dance was geared towards um, a younger age, but there were also just like 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds who hung out at this place that would okay, like get yeah. high in the skate park or just like get drunk and then play foosball. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like these people would have kicked my ass. And yeah. uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe actually... They shook out the money and he loved it. And I just misremember this entire situation because I was dejected, not getting to dance to collective soul with the love of my life. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I'm not, yeah, I'm not judging you for it. It's just, um, it's, I, I needed to know how that story ended because yeah. it's insane. I think it's so funny that you walked up to him. I think it's, it's great <laughs> that you did. That takes balls. But imagine like you're a bully and you're shaking this little kid down who's dressed ridiculously. Like <laughs> there's no reason that he would dress this way. And then another little kid dressed exactly the same yeah. tells you to put him down. I can't believe they didn't just fall over laughing. That's so bizarre. It probably fucked with the reptile part of their brain where they're just like, wait, he's over there, but he's also here. No, you're fucked up, bro. Like they that probably couldn't process that. Yeah, that we're, too, they, we're too yeah. high. Give him his <laughs> coins back. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. so funny. Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, but the the picture oh, it's okay. of, of you dressed I, up identical is so funny to me. I mean, as a funny side note, um, one of the kids who I went to school with, who was just kind of the, um, like, premier bully extraordinaire, I remember running into him in Victoria when I was back there less than ten years ago. Ran into him at a bar. He had married mm. one of the people we went to school with. Like wow. he never left Victoria. Uh, we had a drink. We talked for a bit. He asked what I'd been up to, talked to him for a bit. I asked what he was up to. And he said, well, actually, like, I'm working at the school. I'm, I'm like a counselor for bullies. So, no way. In a weird way, I, I'm like, well, that's good, at least. Like, at least. Like, Did it, you talk who, about who, that night? He apologized to me for spitting in my mouth when I won uh, <laughs> against him during a game of bump. Do you remember bump? <laughs> Is that the fist thing? No, it's the game where you have two basketballs and like somebody shoots in front of you, and if you're behind them, you try and um, oh yeah, knock the ball out of the air. Them. Yeah, but okay, you can yeah. shoot from underneath the hoop. Anyways, it got heated, and he was stronger than me. Then he <laughs> and he spat in your mouth. Pried open my mouth and spat spat into it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Is this before or after the dance incident? Uh, probably around the same time. But oh um, man, yeah, that kid was going through some things. I I got even. I I I remember prank calling him the next year for at least like a year from pay phones, like at ungodly hours of the night. So. Oh wow, wow. I mean, hey, a guy spits in your mouth. You're you're entitled to to mess with. I mean, dude, especially if you did that in this day and age, that that amounts to war in COVID era. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ. That's a that's a sentence. That's a damn. That's. This is a tumultuous time for you, Jordan. I, I it was actually. I mean, I, I'm I'm sorry that this is how it's derailing. We'll we'll edit most of it out. But um, no, I love I love this. This is great. This is why we got into it. Yeah, you know, these I are mean, the stories I want to hear. This is the stories much... that people want to hear, Jordan. You got to leave this in. This is good stuff. Okay, okay. Well, I, I have a perfect segue into our next artist. If you're ready. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hit me. Much in the same way that people feel upset and don't know why. I would like to present a band that shares the same name of a failed conservative movement called the Tea Party with their song Temptation. Yeah, just yeah, for anyone listening, Tea Party, the band came out before the political movement. I like to think that the the movement got their idea from them, but I think it's more Boston related. <laughs> uh, both of them are um, ill-conceived groups uh, doing the best they can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have okay you're gonna have a really coherent set of thoughts about the tea party so i'm gonna get my not, not necessarily but go for it but this is i feel like this is a band you spent a lot of time thinking about you sent me a message during the week saying i can't wait to talk about the tea party so right. these are to me it, it is they're the goth kids from south park grown up this is metal this is hard rock for people who wear johnny depp scarves that that that's a pretty good uh, synopsis. I I have uh, one that I think um, goes a tiny bit further. Okay, hit me. Hey guys, what would happen if we combined Led Zeppelin, The Doors, Nine Inch Nails, and nineteen ninety seven Bad Boy Back on the Screen, John Travolta? To me, this band is very specific. Like they're to me, this I d- band I dis- is. I disagree with all of that. <laughs> no, dude. Like. <laughs> Okay, well, let, let's start with like what um, what don't you agree with there? Uh, any of those band comparisons? They're so. Oh, dude, these, are you kidding me? These guys are so mopey. There's no, like, mm-mm, mm-mm, my friend. I don't see any of the like the energy of any of those bands. Those are all like even even Nine Inch Nails, who are a bummer, are still like up and out. No there. man, these guys are a drone. They were called they. So did you hear? So in this version of it, they cut it out. But did you hear the sitar opening to the song on the yeah, original? Yeah, that's the Led Zeppelin part of the song. That's that. Like oh, okay. Over. So that's okay, the Led yeah. Zeppelin part. The yeah. Doors part are his fucking lyrics. Which yeah, absolutely. He, he wants to be Jim Morrison. The yeah. Nine Inch Nails part is all the kind of pseudo industrial electronic beats that uh, underlay this whole song. Okay. And he was this kind of dark, older hunk. Like he wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah, he didn't he was look not like a young, young guy, no. but, but, but basically like, I think they're this Canadian band that's sort of hard to define what they're about because ultimately they're not really about anything, but yeah. it must've seemed really bizarre to anyone who heard them outside of Canada, uh, which is probably not many people if we're being honest, but this Definitely band, not. this band was hugely embraced by the Canadian mainstream, probably yeah. because of how uncool they were. They were so uncool. They were, yeah. I mean... To, they whenever i think of the tea party i don't even think of the band i think of 
my childhood best friend's older brother, who was a really sweet, deeply uncool guy who <laughs> idolized them. He had the yeah. triptych poster up on his wall and he had like the sort of long black hair and it was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. There was, they might be the least cool band. And in that way that like we were talking about Sloan in the last one and like they were yeah. uncool, but in a way that was like made them likable and fun. These guys yeah. are just uncool. This like, I really, I have no time for this band at all. I think they're gross. They, they are the, um, I was talking to a friend of mine about how hip hop is aging really gracefully right now. And a lot of the old hip hop artists are, are growing within their music and gaining wisdom and addressing how they used to feel. And, and it's, uh, it's a conversation with the past, but also like growth, whereas rock is getting just sadder. Like every, every rock band looked, is trying to look the way that they looked back then. And it's creepy yeah. and disturbing. And the tea party is right in the middle of that world for me. Yeah. Yeah, I like to think that he's grown out of it. Like like I said, I mean, I've been really hard on the guy and I don't know him at all. But the <laughs> character that he's putting forward in this band is like a an avatar for everything that I hate about weird artsy dudes. Like I really can't stand him. He's the he's when I was at the Sparrow in Montreal, we would have Sparrow's this like cool cocktail bar that I love and is still open to this day. Go check it out if you're in Montreal. We would have the Concordia English department come and do poetry nights, like once every couple months yeah. on a Sunday. And there was always older, weird dudes yep. who were there, and they just, the tea party just is that guy just preying on these, like, vulnerable, like, 18-year-old girls. There's something really, I can't shake the creepiness of this band off. And I'm sorry if that's not the case, Jeff Martin, but this is why we have the podcast, because we want people to have a platform to defend themselves. Yeah, come on the podcast, Jeff Martin. We don't, we don't know you, and we don't hate you, but we do hate the idea we have of you. And yes. So feel free to come on and change you, that idea. You show up on a couple other ones, so you still have time. Yeah, Jeff, we're 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 happy. We'd be more than happy to have you to have you clear your name. Um, complete, complete fucking turnaround from uh, Tea yeah, Party. What an abrupt swap this next song is. I again, in some ways, the UK was truly on fire this year. Um, we're mm. we're talking about the song "Block Rock and Beats" by Chemical Brothers. An incredible um, song. But like it, this this year alone, right? Like in Britain, you had Oasis, you had Spice Girls, you had Harry yeah. Potter, you had the best uh, picture of the year with the English patient. And most importantly, you had the real life personification of a three-toke DMT trip, Teletubbies. Oh, man. Did I tell you I know one of the Teletubbies? He's a really nice, pretty weird guy. Wait, they're real people? Wait, in the suits, yeah. Yeah, I mean the son is like a real baby and is still a baby, and I talk to that baby sometimes. But the uh... <laughs> every time you look up at the sun, he's just like, Ooh. <laughs> I uh, yeah, no, I know, um, I know Tinky Winky. Oh, what is is Tinky Winky really a diva? Like I've heard, super chill, very low maintenance. That's cool. Very I'm low maintenance. Yeah, yeah, no. As long as long as uh, you know, there's enough ketamine in the green room. Tinky Winky don't give no shits. Uh, no, he's actually. He's a he's a really nice guy and like a pretty good comic. Uh, he's a little odd in the way that all child performers are, but but he's mm. pretty fun. I, I really don't have much to say about the song other than I liked it at the time, and now I love this era of popular electronic music. But yeah. I think because I was so into playing guitar, I I it, I couldn't even conceive of how you would make music like this. So it was just mm. I was like, oh, this song's cool, but 
I, I wasn't into, like, I didn't know how to make electronic music, essentially. But, um, yeah, the song's awesome. Fucking love it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say other than, like, I love this goddamn song. It totally stands up. It's so bold to start with a bass riff. Yeah. I love that. It's so cool. Um, they were the first DJs I ever heard, like, as an act. I'd never heard yeah. just a DJ release a thing. And so I didn't know where to put it back then. And so I didn't get it as much. But now listening back, like I'd love it. This is definitely one of my top three songs on the album. If not, if it might be my favorite, um, it might be, uh, is but it, I, is, I love it. Maybe this is a bit of a bold question, but do you think this song would make a better intro to uh, somebody coming up on stage for comedy than Tony Braxton on Break My Heart? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what kind of laugh you're going for, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, it was the funniest thing when Unbreak My Heart came on. He said it was, it got to the chorus, say you love me again. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Chris Betts. How, how, how could you not take that personally? Who did that? Who was the DJ? Why did he hate you so much? Um, I don't, I just laughed. I laughed the whole time and I made fun of it. And um, to the point where another, at another show, the, 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 um, sound tech asked me like what what music do you want to come up to and sort of laughing i was like oh unbreak my heart by tony braxton <laughs> and and then i didn't think about it but he took me seriously and so again i and this was my own fault i had to walk on stage to unbreak my heart by tony braxton so hit hitting the home stretch now oh buddy this song oh, man where do you even start with the song do you want to go first okay i have the uh briefest synopsis of widemouth mason from i saw them perform at the calgary stampede I, years i was years hoping years you'd get to the story you mentioned in the last podcast and this is i went uh with i can't remember if it was if my buddy was there that year or not but anyways i'm there my brother-in-law i've got an older half-sister my brother-in-law brought us uh she lives in calgary so we used to stay with them and they got Two songs in, he was like, Chris, what band are you seeing? I was like, I'm going to go see Widemouth Mason. He said, cool, I'll come and watch. And they got two songs in, and he looked at me and said, this is fucking terrible. And just walked away. <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, it is. Did you? It's really bad. Did you ever see Ghost World? Yeah, I love Ghost World. Do you remember the scene where um, she's trying to help him go on a date, and uh, he's at a bar watching his favorite blues musician play and he's playing before a bland a band called blues hammer yes yeah this band it's like the blues hammer effect this is blues hammer <laughs> like okay yep. for, first of all you could have put sarah mclaughlin building a mystery why not like also a great song but yeah. instead we have this and it's very hard for me to explain why i dislike this song so much like, so I was I was actually thinking this is this is the song that more than any other song that I can think of shows how powerful a catchy verse can be. Okay. Because as soon as the 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 chorus started, I I was like I remember this song immediately. So it's I'm up in the kitchen singing. Oh no, Mama's out in the backyard. Daddy's downstairs digging a grave. Yeah. So it just paints like a little picture. Um, the way they sing it is catchy as hell, and it's like oh, there's something dark happening. And it feels cynical and bad, but like that is, if it wasn't for that hook, no one would have ever heard this because the rest of the song is terrible. My disgust was absolutely crystallized when I came across this 
passage in their Wikipedia biography. Wow, you must be the third person to have read that. In, and the other two are in the band. Can, can, I, can I just read this uh, little part? I would love that. I would love that. In 2019, the group released the heavily blues-influenced album, I Want to Go With You. The record prominently features Vero's tri-slide technique, using three slides on his fretting hand and playing more lap steel and dobro-style instruments. Is three slides on your fretting hand the, the cocktail caviar of music? If or is it actually an interesting thing? I, I think, if anything, I would equate it more to the flaming mo an idea ripped off from somebody else that they never gave credit for and that they've taken their entire livelihood from like i can't think i can't think of a more irrelevant song on this entire compilation series so far than this song so this is something that i was thinking that feels like they've done this on both albums now pisses me off man uh, they've tried to hide what they clearly know are the worst songs on the album because that's why they put them there in between the best songs so you have block rock and beats by chemical my uh, chemical brothers yeah. then you have fucking my what is it my old self uh yeah my old self by wide mouth mason and then paranoid android by radiohead how 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 to me this it's is like this is like if you had a 60s compilation that was 12 tracks in and you it's like, okay, what am I listening to now? Oh, it's the Monster Mash. What's next? Let It Be by the Beatles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, only, the only notes I have for talking about this is riff on this band however you want. Because, honestly, this... I, I think this song on Big Shiny Tunes 2 actually got me to buy OK Computer. Yeah, me too. It, it's almost hard to talk about, and it's almost... It, we're going to verge into territory that sounds pretentious and you know this band is like one of those beatles bands where it's like of course they're great everybody Mm. knows they're great why are you even talking about them but when you compare at least the quality of landscape songwriting everything about this song compared to the song that preceded it it seems insane to me that you wouldn't put (laughs) at least a slightly better song than wide mouth mason like i'm so yeah I, i i I don't know. This this was definitely a gateway band for me, and like especially the album they put out after Kid A. But um, mm. yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I don't know if that was the same case for everybody that heard this. But do you remember what uh, your experience was listening to this? Well, yeah, this was like this was the song where it became known that like Radiohead was separating themselves from the pack. Yeah. One thing that stood out to me listening back was. Um, how because we were what we were talking about on the first one with um what was that was that fake plastic trees uh no no, it was just just yeah yeah so just was um sort of like an interesting rock band yeah and now they're something else now they're radiohead they've carved out their own thing but you can hear sort of when it when it breaks down and it gets really heavy you can hear sort of the ben's influence but it's also got sort of premonitions of uh hail to the thief um and um, in rainbows in there, like you can hear how that's that style starting to come out. Yeah, which I I like I I love about that. I actually turned off Radiohead right after this album, not because of anything to do with their music. And I hate I hate Tom York for this, but I read an interview with him, and I, it must have been Rolling Stone because I was reading Rolling Stone religiously at the time. And 
He was such an ass. Well, of course he was. And how, how could he not have been? But he was just so, like, he was mean and he was arrogant and just a fuck. So I didn't listen to Radiohead yeah. for years. I missed Kid A. I missed Amnesiac. Um, I didn't come back until Hail to the Thief. Wow. Yeah. So I missed, like, a whole era just because this guy's an asshole. That's why I stopped reading interviews with musicians. I mean, give them credit, though. They showed up on that amazing episode of South Park where they make fun of uh, the bully who eats his own parents. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, Look at that crybaby crying. (laughs) At least they had a sense of humor about themselves. Yeah, that's uh, which is actually one of the most surprising things about them. I'll I'll tell you my okay computer moment of the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I mentioned earlier on in this episode, um, 1997 was the year of the virtual pets. Some people had Tamagotchis. Some people had... Uh, online Polly Pockets. But um, I remember going... Oh, Jesus, I forgot about that. My family and I moved from Manitoba in 1992, and I had a childhood friend there named David, and I went to visit him in 1997. I think we had seen each other once before then, but he had made a new friend, and I was pissed off about it because he hadn't told me we'd be hanging out with another friend, and we didn't mm. get along. And at one point, when they were playing video games... I took his Tamagotchi, not David, but his friend. I took his Tamagotchi, Mm. and then I went into the bathroom with it, and I found a pin, and I pressed the reset button, and then I gave it... Yeah, you did. And then I gave it back to him. And when he found out his Tamagotchi had been uh, aborted, he cried, (laughs) and his parents had to come pick him up. Oh, wow. And then you got what you wanted. I got to hang out with David. Yeah. <laughs> Small price to pay. An, a, a fake life. Um, okay, so uh, next we have Remote Control by Age of Electric. Uh, another Canadian band. Another sort of meh of a song. I have no strong feelings about this. I loved this song when I was when it came out. I remember really enjoying it. But it feels like the musical version of, you know, when you move to a new town and you have like the first friend you make. Mm-hmm. That you keep until you make the people that are actually your friends. Yes. It's that. It was a placeholder song as I was trying to look for what my actual taste is. Uh, honestly, the most interesting thing I could think about Age of Electric was um, uh, the singer Todd Kearns is in Slash's touring band now. Whoa. Stop the yeah. presses. That's it. He Oh, he was in Limblifter, uh, which was on the last album. Yep. Um, and we were underwhelmed by as well. Yep. This. Yeah, other than that, like I... I don't I don't care the song like I have nothing to say about it. It's it's just a big sort of meh. I, I had a bunch to say on it, but I, I left the notes in my car, so I guess we'll have to skip it this podcast. Oh yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so we'll go on to the last show of the al- or the last song of the album. I said show because it's called Lady Picture Show by Stone Temple Pilots. What did you think, man? I mean, to be honest, it's kind of a meh one after paranoid android it's like it's like Mm. you watch the craziest fireworks display of your life and then when you're walking back to your parked car you see a juggler or something it's like it's yeah (laughs) in and of itself it's kind of cool but yeah it's just paranoid android just obliterates everything after it and um yeah i mean to be a bit fair like i have revisited the album that this appears on uh, a few times in the last five years. And, and I think this is actually 
uh, a good Stone Temple Pilots record. It, it hmm. sort of was this era where alt rock was trying to transcend itself, but their fan base was disappointed. And we'll see this especially in relation to the first song on the next Big Shiny Tunes, which is the Smashing Pumpkins song Ava Adore. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. but it's you know it's it's a well written song. Like it's not offensive to me and in relation to the album it works well too like i i prefer uh big bang baby honestly as the mm. single from this particular record but yeah it's just like where can you go from paranoid android so i actually i i think big bang baby is a better song as well yeah. but this is i think it's such a good way to end an album it felt like um it felt like a, a song that you play during the credits of a movie sure yeah you know, everything's done and then it sort of carries you out. And it's, it's to, again, it's like, it's not much of a song. There's not much to it, but I found myself singing it for three hours after listening to it. It was still just stuck in my head. Yeah. It, it sort of earwormed me. And so I really like, this is maybe the only programming like part of this album that I've enjoyed. I, I just want to say that the, the album that this appears on um, is the only Stone Temple Pilots album I've been able to listen to. Uh, since the '90s, and it's it's a really good record. They, they, what's what's it called? Tiny music from the Vatican gift shop. Oh yeah. Um, some really great kind of glammy, not not grunge, but like literally glam pop songs on it. And um, mm. yeah, it, it's uh, if we're being honest, and to and to wrap things up a little bit, I'm uh, I'm trying to understand how. Uh, we're going to approach the compilations to come because some of the songs from 1999 onward, I haven't heard, I have no relationship to, and even just yeah. jumping ahead, I am sort of dreading, the, <laughs> I'm dreading the sheer oral fascism that is about to be unleashed <laughs> our way. Like if if you think about why we probably wanted to do this, I think it's about the first three or four big shiny tunes, but things yeah. are going to take a very, very steep detour. Yeah, it's going to get weird, and, and that's that's why I wanted to kind of talk about this era of how much music, at least, was trying to commercialize what was deemed alternative or sort of apart from whatever they considered the mainstream. Because I I really see like overall in this entire compilation. I see a cynicism that is trying to express itself. It's trying to express itself vis-a-vis capitalism, vis-a-vis um, just like life. But none of them have crystallized that sentiment more than new metal will. And once we get to this era of music, <laughs> I, I, it, it will become, I, I don't know, like I, I've already jumped ahead a little bit and things are going to get really, really dark, man really dark yeah we're gonna hate a lot of songs in a row it's gonna get it's gonna be yeah. oh it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a, a not i mean violent feels like the word both in music and in yep. emotion i don't think i don't think we're gonna have a, a kind word to say about a lot of bands coming up but for now big shiny tunes too what'd you think overall um a surprisingly eclectic assortment of songs that soundtracked the end of a way of living. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. How, how about you? 
yeah, I think it was it was an improvement on the first one. Yeah, I, th- I think they I think they took fewer chances commercially, but I think that paid off. Uh, so, like, there's no there's no Tahitian moon on this, which is a shame. But there's also no Poe, and so I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I really liked it. I found that this was this was an easy album to go back through, um, and not just nostalgically. There were a lot of songs that I really enjoyed, and honestly, most of the ones that I enjoy now are ones that weren't my favorites then. Yeah, which I think is a nice sign. It's always nice to be like, oh, I grew, and these songs are better now. So. Yeah, I mean, this was great. So the next uh, episode, we're going to move on to Big Shiny Tunes 3. I am particularly looking forward to your breakdown of One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, Lenny Kravitz, Fly Away, Corporate Rock at its best. Yep. And um, you know what? Monster Magnet, Space Lord. I think okay. you're going to have a very fun take on, on the old Monster Magnets. All right, so we did that. Um, you might be seeing a little bit where this podcast is heading towards. But you know what? That's not our fault. That's what this. Um, that's what Much Music decided to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, just take a look at uh, tracks listings for Big Shiny Tunes 8. I dare oh, you. Buddy. All we can do is speak truthfully. We're sorry if we yeah. hurt anyone's feelings. We had a great time. We're in our nascent stage. Of course, uh, we're getting a lot of feedback from people who are stoked that we're covering things in the 90s. But guess what, gang? We are not a 90s podcast. That just happens to be the year that we have set our gazes upon. But uh, we're going to get to that new millennium, much like the uh, Uroboros snake eating its own tail. Wow. That was a deep reference, and I love and respect it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading a lot of H.P. Lovecraft. I'm sorry. Attaboy. Uh, Lockdown. Doing it right. Uh, (laughs) Thank you again for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with Big Shiny Tunes 3. Uh, If you want to support the show, you can do it at Patreon. Uh, We have a Patreon that we have set up, and there are rewards there for people that want to do it. We'll have exclusive content and uh, maybe some extra interviews. So check that out. Feel free to subscribe or give us your money or Bitcoins and or uh, stocks as well. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Or you know what? Pledge hours of manual labor, should you so choose. Yeah, uh, we can all, want, we always need a gopher. Yeah, if uh, if Jordan needs, I mean, I'm a little far away. I'm guessing there aren't many people listening in the UK, but uh, if Jordan needs a shelf put up and you're a practical carpenter, then we also accept those. I'm perfectly uh, capable of doing this by myself. I just don't want to. There we go. Yay, the arts. Um, anyway, uh, that's if you want to support the show uh, in the simplest way possible. Uh, you can do it at patreon.com slash big shiny podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at big shiny tweets or on Instagram at big shiny podcast. But we don't on, honestly, we don't do much on Instagram. It's, we're more on Twitter. Not um, yet. When, when, when the lockdown world ends, uh, get ready because our gram game is going up. Yeah, we're going to find 1996 themed moments in the I don't know. I'm not very good at Instagram in the first place, uh, but our Twitter is in fuego. Uh, um, uh, we're just talking shit now uh thank you again for listening we'll be back next week uh make sure to follow mark teo and listen to the speaker's corner episode we will talk to you soon Anytime I need to see a face, it just close my eyes And I am taken to a sweet crystal mind And the gentle feeling take a shelter in the face And that's my hundred like a chicka cherry cola I don't need to try to explain how this old on died And if it happens again, I'ma move so slightly To the arms and the lips and the face of the human kind of all that I need to, I want to Kind of person who endorses a deep commitment Getting comfy, getting comfy, is what I live Anytime I need to see a face, it just close my eyes And I'm taken to a place where you don't mind And magenta feelings take up shelter in the face of my spine Shit like a chicken cherry cola It's a 
like a chicka cherry cola. Is it like a chicka cherry cola? 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 Is it like a chicka cherry cola?